A happy Saturday morning to you, Bucks fans. I'm Steve Isbitz of JoeBucksFan.com. This is the Monday Morning Joe podcast, Saturday edition. And these are exciting times and frustrating times and a great time to uh, to listen to the podcast. So I appreciate that you are doing just that. The podcast is presented by Discount Garage Doors, DGDoors.com, and Bill Curry Ford, just north of the stadium on Dale Mabry Highway. The podcast is available on the website, of course, when it pops, but you could subscribe at iTunes or Podbean or Google Play, and then you get a free alert when the podcast is ready, and you can listen anytime. Bill Curry Ford, we're going to talk about later. We appreciate their support, and wow, is this a great time to head over to Bill Curry Ford for so many reasons. Discount Garage Doors, I'll tell you about them right now. They are well known for their free diagnosis slash service call to come out to your home and check out your problem with your garage door or give you an estimate for a new door if that's the way you want to go. Seven days a week, free service call. The website is dgdoors.com. The phone number is 866-420-DOOR. And they are a local company operating seven days a week. So you can call today, get that thing fixed for your New Year's Eve uh, celebration and night. Or, you know, you can get a new door and that really will enhance the value of your home. You know, there's so much data now on that, that a garage door, while it's not sexy, it really adds to curb appeal and it holds its value. And they're really not anywhere close to expensive as you as expensive as you might think. Discount Garage Doors, dgdoors.com. You can use your Joe Bucks fan discount code for 10% off. And I'm so pleased that so many listeners have used their service and are, are happy with it. And I'm not surprised. Seven days a week discount garage doors so here we are bucks fans the end of a season which is always sad but this year it's a little more exciting because of what's coming next a new head coach now what else is coming next that we don't know will they go the the team president route will they blow out jason light will they hire a coach before they hire a gm what are they going to do is there a plan in place is there something that's been worked on for months? Listeners of this podcast know that the minute the Bucks lost to Carolina and were embarrassed by what happened there, what was it, 35 first half points in Carolina? They went three and five. I was calling, that's the end of Dirk Cutter for me. Now, I understand not firing him at the time, but Team Glazer certainly needed to be all out in its search seven weeks ago. I hope they came up with something good. I really do. What that is, I, I don't know. And, um, you know, Glazers are, are super close to the vest on everything. That's just how they operate. Anybody who tells you otherwise really doesn't know what they're talking about. Ira Kaufman of Joe Buck's fan, of course, you guys know Ira. He does communicate with the Glazers. I think, I'm going to say he's the only one in the market who really does. But that doesn't mean it's often. That doesn't mean that they give him all kinds of uh, play-by-play on what they're doing, that they're not close to the vest. If there was something out there that was going to be you know, good knowledge, it would be out there by now. And it, it's not. And it leads me to believe maybe the Glazers are playing a little more wait and see than we might want to really, really believe. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to keep their cutter. But as far as what their next step is, who knows? Now, we'll talk more about that later in the podcast. Now, things went a little crazy with Deshaun Jackson this past week because Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times wrote sort of an expose outing Jackson for things he did last year, sleeping in meetings, fighting with coaches, kicking over a Christmas charity display, just being a jerk, not taking notes, all this kind of stuff. But this was last year, and it was weird. In Stroud's report, he said that they knew it last year and asked Jackson about it, yet it was just coming out now. And that was a sort of a little strange element to the report. Also, it was sort of a strange element to the report that uh, Stroud wrote in there that he knew about this last year. The Times knew about it, whatever. And they addressed it with Jackson earlier this year, but he didn't want to comment. And now it's the first that we're hearing of it, which is a little bit strange in some ways. Do I believe it's true? This whole report? Yeah, I I do. It feels like somebody from inside the organization, maybe a Dirk Cutter assistant coach, 
a Todd Munkin, if I had to speculate, but it could be anybody. Or one of the players frustrated with Jackson and this being at the end of the line now came out to Stroud and verified other things that he had heard in there and gave him some more details on Jackson uh, clearly being a, a bad teammate and a problem with the team. But the bigger deal is why the organization kept him for this year. They knew this last year. Why keep him? Why? Why keep a guy and then keep him again, in theory, because he asked for a trade before the deadline and you didn't grant it. So they sort of kept him twice when they knew he was a problem, paying him $11 million a year. That is worth exploring. (laughs) And it speaks to the issues with the Bucks because, you know, some teams can handle that. But the Bucks were not laid out to do that with leadership on various fronts, with the locker room to police Jackson and with the right coaches to police him and get through to him and for him to police himself and all that stuff. They didn't have the team to handle a guy like Deshaun Jackson. So there's the problem that you picked him. Then there's the problem that you stuck with him. And I'm a little more annoyed at the problem that you stuck with him. Because you can vet guys a little bit. You can take some chances. That's okay. But if you screw up, you can't let it tear the whole team down. And that's sort of what went, what happened here. Now, we don't know if Dirk Cutter said, I want to keep him, don't get rid of him. You know, we'll figure this out. He's too valuable. It's going to help Evans, this and that. We can work it out. James is tough. We don't know. We don't know if Jason Light said, look, I can't get rid of this guy. We're paying him $11 million. We'll all get fired. If I get rid of Deshaun Jackson, we'll be admitting I don't know what I'm doing. We don't know if Light tried to trade him and couldn't get a decent deal. Maybe there were the rumors and the, everything was out on Jackson that, hey, he's an older guy who who's uh, still productive, but he's disengaged and he's a problem. And, uh, yeah, Jason will give you a, a sixth and a seventh round pick. And they didn't want to do that because that would be the equivalent of giving him away for nothing in their minds. I don't know. Did Team Glazer know? Did they run it up the flagpole that this guy is getting fined and he's a problem and he's a cancerous force? Did they run that up to the Glazers? And the Glazers bless, yeah, keep them. We're paying them. We're keep, you know, see if you can work it out. Maybe it's not really affecting uh, the rest of the team. Maybe they assessed that it wasn't really affecting the rest of the team. I don't know. But the whole thing stinks, especially in the same year that you signed Swaggy Baker, who clearly had a, a negative effect. It's just really talks to the, the mess that is the organization and Jason Light's inability for five years to play well in free agency. At best, he's below average in free agency at best. And I might be being kind, but I know that sometimes things get over exaggerated with how a personnel guy is because I can't sit here and tell you and recite chapter and verse how the Buffalo Bills free agent classes have been in the last four years. Or obviously the Giants had success with free agency as an example. I'm familiar with their success from a couple of years ago, but then it fell apart. And I can't sit here and tell you exactly how well other teams have done in free agency but i know a lot of them have done better than the bucks too many and i know what we see here and the decisions and the lack of growth in the decisions and you know there were other ways to get explosive plays that the bucks were so so craving there were other ways to do that than signing deshaun jackson but another way to look at that because there's a lot of layers it's easy to point fingers but another way to look at that is, okay, well, despite all that BS and all that crap, Jackson comes back this year and he does work in the summer alone with, with Jameis Winston and goes out to Texas and works out with Jameis, etc. He does attend more OTAs. He does come out smoking with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's not Deshaun Jackson's fault that Jameis got busted with the Uber crotch thing and all that. So I can't hold him against, you know, hold that against him. And the Bucks come out strong, and they're two and one, and they're two and two, and they're going into the bye week, and the offense is hot, and Jackson isn't uh, a guy who's disgruntled at that point. So, and really, at the end of the game against the Falcons, 
they decided to run that wacky trick play that was going to get to Jackson to win the game. It was stupid and foolish, but you know it's not like he was getting iced out. And then we learned later that he had the green light to return punts whenever he wanted, and he didn't want to do that, whatever. My point is that when did it go bad this year? That we're not exactly going to know, but we do know that at 3-3, three and three, he asked for a trade. He wanted out with the Bucks 3-3, three and three, and that's all you need to know. It didn't work. It was the wrong decision by both guys. And, you know, you can't run a team worried about getting fired by your bosses and there's, uh, that they're going to fire you because you got rid of a guy that you shouldn't have gotten rid of or you shouldn't have signed. You just can't play scared. It's not going to win you games. It's not going to build an organization, build a culture. When Dirk Cutter came in, he, and I was talking more about Jason Light there, when Cutter came in, he talked first year about culture change. Culture change. And early on, Cutter said that, you know, the Bucks were just one of those teams that didn't know how to win and that he had been on good teams and it just didn't have that vibe and that feel and, you know, it's not always something you can just snap your fingers and make. Teams have to learn how to win and uh, play as one and all that stuff. And then it flipped. They got on the five-game winning streak, and it seemed like the culture had changed, but I don't think it ever really did. And that's really kind of the final note on the Dirk Cutter era, is that he never really adjusted, never really changed very much because we're sort of right back where we were. And even Jameis Winston has regressed to the point that it's sad. I don't think anybody could view this team as a team that's a step away, that just needs some tweaks, that needs a little bit of uh, a change to a new voice. No, I think they need a new voice. They need some new talent. They need to get rid of some bad mindsets. It's just a lot of problems here. And that that's kind of sad going forward because here we are as Bucks fans and we're, we're Cleveland South. And that almost is an insult to Cleveland at this point, but not quite yet. I'm not ready to uh, anoint Cleveland as the greatest franchise ever. We'll see how they handle this offseason, whether they keep their coach or whether they screw it up and, and all that. So I'm not, not uh, crazy on the Cleveland bandwagon, but it looks good right now. And if you're a Browns fan, it's got to feel good as well. A couple of things. Dirk Cutter was on the radio yesterday, and, man, he... I'm disappointed in Dirk for sounding and acting like such a beaten down man the last month. I mean, it's just, how do you lead a team and just walk around like you're half dead and do these news conferences like you don't want to be there, et cetera? It's just, it's terrible. And I still haven't figured out what's going on with Jameis Winston and his whole demeanor of, he doesn't, I don't want to see, I'm not going to accuse Jameis of being checked out, but he just seems like, He's not mentally the same guy that he was before. And we've talked about this on the podcast, but it really manifested itself in Dallas where three delay of game calls, three, one, okay, two, what the hell's going on? Three, that's a real, real insane situation. And it's not just a coincidence. I mean, that's a guy who's not mentally checked in the way he needs to be. And I don't know. I'm not ready to get rid of Jameis at all. I really sort of in the camp of what Rondé Barber said. And uh, that's a story that may or may not be out already on JoeBucksFan.com. But first with Jameis, you see the talent, you see the upside, you see the good things that he does. You see the raw ability and you see the elite play at times. So it's there. You know it's there. This isn't Blake Bortles. But then there's the inconsistency, the decision-making, the just acting like a guy who's not a face-of-the-franchise type of quarterback who is just going to get you beat at some point because of his inconsistency. He's not a game manager, you know, to use that that wacky phrase. So, But I do believe uh, year five is coming for Jameis in Tampa wholeheartedly that he will be here. And he'll get his rare fifth-year shot for a quarterback, a starter who hasn't made the playoffs. And a new coach will want to work with him. A new coach might also want to draft his own quarterback. Very, very likely. The Glazers may even you know, get into the ears of uh, some of these guys and say, look, you've got the green light to draft a QB. And I think it's reasonable to think a new coach would want to do that. Cover his bases, 
cover himself. That might be part of the whole direction of uh, of planning for life without Jameis while still having Jameis here. And I'm not afraid of Jameis having to compete, even though this year, frankly, if we're really honest, it seems, and really based off Jameis's words, that he kind of crumbled in the face of competition with Ryan Fitzpatrick. The pressure got to him. Now, I get that it's extreme pressure, the way it all went down and all right in the middle of the season versus a uh, training camp competition, but still, it's um, I think it's likely that the Bucks draft a quarterback, and uh, that's no anything other than uh, than good planning. Now, speaking of good planning, tanking on Sunday was very clear on JoeBucksFan.com. We are both in favor of tanking, Lee DeCamper and I, for one reason. And that one reason is Dirk Cutter's not coming back. You're not building for next year with the roster and with the coaching staff and going to grow off a of victory on Sunday. You're not. Half the roster is going to be gone. At least, yeah, half the roster is going to be gone with a new head coach. So what are, you, what are you doing by winning? Now, I understand people bought tickets. I bought my own tickets, which I'm not going to be using. Well, I can't, not personally anyway, but yeah, I did commit them to somebody else. So people are buying tickets and you play to win the game, right? As uh, Herm Edwards uh, famously said, however, reality and good business has to take over. Now, I don't think the Bucks should try to sit on the ball and tank and lose intentionally for the guys on the field. But I think the protocol, a fair protocol is to rest your best players. It's just that simple. And I want the better draft pick. The Buccaneers invite you, the fan, out to the draft party to celebrate their pick and to get excited about a pick. Well, you know what? Tanking is going to help get a better pick to get you excited and to be good for the team. They're, it's not as if they don't tell you the draft is important. They do. Team Glazer, how many times have we all heard them say, build through the draft, build through the draft. We'd be happy to pay our own players. That's the goal. That's how you build a good organization. Well, if you're going to keep selling the draft as the most important element to success in the organization, then you got to lose on Sunday or at least make an attempt. Right? Wouldn't the fans understand that? Wouldn't the sponsors understand that? Doesn't good sense dictate that? Now, I know fans hate that, and I don't like it either. I'm a fan. I don't like it, but we didn't, we the fan, and we here at Joe Buck's fan, we didn't put the team in this predicament. We didn't make them losers. We didn't make them Cleveland South. We just want a good draft pick to help the team do better. And that's our right as fans. We've suffered long enough to say, you know what, let's, let's complete the picture here and lose on Sunday. Now, I understand not every fan's going to be into that. And especially people who bought tickets who root for the team and they want to see their guys succeed and walk off the field smiling. I get it. But, man, in this case, at this time, and we were both happy at Joe Buck's fan when they they won the game last year to close the season, but that was different. Dirk Cutter had gotten a vote of confidence. You knew he was coming back. They were trying to build something. Heck, it was one on a play with Chris Godwin, who he himself talked about many times how that sparked him and gave him the confidence in the offseason to help him progress even uh, better and he came into this season hot and that last year against the saints that victory was his first touchdown catch and the game even had more meaning because it was against the top team the falcons aren't a top team at least they could say well we beat a good team at home defending the turf and uh, building off it this year, there's nothing to build on. So I hope the Bucks lose. And when that whistle blows, I'm not rooting for anyone to drop a pass. I'll hope they win. But, man, find a way to, to do the smart thing here and get the starters out. And especially there's the whole injury angle on top of that, which is self-explanatory. You, you think JPP is not going to understand, hey, JPP, we're giving you the first quarter, and then we're going to Noah Spence? I mean, he's a team guy. He gets it. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Todd Munkin, he landed on that uh, NFL advisory panel to be a head coach. 
as a recommended head coach, which I think was a bit of a surprise to him, as well as uh, something he appreciated. And, of course, Munkin would want to be a head coach. My thought, though, is that Munkin is a reasonable chance he is the next offensive coordinator for your Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, there's been a lot of chatter about Steve Sarkeesian over there and the Atlanta offense, et cetera. I don't think it's smoke. I think some changes will be made. Dan Quinn's not going anywhere. And most likely things will stay the same on the defensive side of the ball there, especially since he is a defensive head coach. But Sarkeesian was sort of a uh, slightly controversial hire to begin with as offensive coordinator after Shanahan left, Kyle Shanahan. And you know what? Dirk Cutter is, could be the Atlanta, go back as Atlanta coordinator. He was not fired from there which is the common belief. He was not fired with Mike Smith. He was retained as offensive coordinator. And Cutter himself went to Arthur Blank and said, look, I, I, I just want to get out of here. You know, I don't feel comfortable being here without Mike Smith. And, and um, I really like out. I gave you good service. I gave you everything I had. I appreciate you guys. I just want to move on. And he did. And Arthur Blank let him out. The general manager, the hierarchy of the Falcons did not let Cutter out when he asked them. He had to push it all the way up to the top. And you can trust me on that story. So that is not a that that's reality. So but could Cutter go back to Atlanta? Sure. I think Munkin though might be more interesting. He also might be a better fit with uh, the Dan Quinn's coaching style and the transition from you know the offense itself is something that Matt Ryan Munkin's offense and Matt Ryan's offense and the way they're going to operate is going to be very similar. So I think it might be a good fit. I'm not rooting for Munkin to go to the division rival and succeed once he's out of here. He's out of here. But uh, Coach Munkin's a good guy, and he is um, he'll land somewhere. He will land somewhere, and I think it very well could be Atlanta. And I hope he doesn't get any ideas and realize that and want to showcase his his a game against the Falcons on Sunday. Because we don't need that win. Maybe the Bucks can can lose 37-35. I hate talking here about losing. I feel dirty. It just feels disgusting. But again, the Bucks put us in this situation. Not uh, not me. Not Joe Bucks fan. Not you, the fan who wants that better draft pick. And you better believe we're going to be killing Team Glazer if they start rambling about how important the draft is and they don't make any effort to uh, to tank this game on on Sunday. All right. I told you before that we had some, uh, and in the headline says we got a special guest, and um, we're going to uh, get to that right now. So I said we were going to be talking later about Bill Curry Ford. Well, even better than that, we're actually here at the beautiful Bill Curry showroom just north of the stadium on Dale Mabry Highway, and I'm here with General Manager Sean Sullivan. You've heard so much about him on all these podcasts. Uh, now you get to hear from him himself. There is no bigger, and I say that with... No hint of exaggeration. There's no bigger Buccaneers fan than general manager Sean Sullivan at Bill Curry Ford. And Sean, before we talk Bucks, please explain to everybody how awesome and special it is that Bill Curry Ford has a nationwide lifetime warranty on new and used vehicles. Well, when we came up with this, Steve, we were really trying to to come up with a niche for the store. It's a family-owned store. It's been here 58 years. And as you know, there's a lot of competition in the car business. So to set us aside, we worked very diligently to find our niche, and it's going to be the lifetime warranty. So we did a nationwide lifetime warranty, unlimited miles, unlimited years, with 10-year roadside assistance. And we also do first-year maintenance on new and used cars. Now, this is a a nationally registered warranty that's good at all 4,000 Ford stores. So we took into account that Tampa has a lot of people that live elsewhere and in dual states. So we wanted to make sure that when you buy from us, that we do you right and that you can enjoy it wherever you are, Michigan, Ohio, and so forth, which is probably the same thing we run into with the Bucks fans, right, with all the different uh, jerseys. But hopefully everybody wears a Bill Curry Ford jersey. That would make me really happy. But the, again, the warranty covers your – it's not just a powertrain warranty, and I think that that's where people get confused on the Internet. They go, oh, it's just a powertrain. Everyone's doing a powertrain. Well, I always say ours is a powertrain plus because it doesn't just cover the engine and the transmission, which, by the way, are the two most important things you really want covered in a new and used car – but we also um, cover the exhaust manifold, water pump, fuel pump, gaskets. We cover the, uh, the engine mounts because they wear out over time, and we cover all the belts that move in the engine. 
So basically everything but electronics. I mean, that's what we have to keep in mind. And I'm, I'm very pliv- privileged that everyone in Tampa gets this when they buy a car from us. Yeah, that's awesome. It makes a difference. And, you know, especially if you're someone who really loves your Ford truck and wants to keep it for a long time to have that warranty is, is special. You can get more information by going to BillCurryFord.com or, of course, just coming down here and talking to you, Sean. And what else I have to ask you, of course, is it's the end of the year. And people always are saying out there, you know, it's a great time, best time to buy a car. And of course, it's not necessarily everybody's time to buy one. But what do you have going on for this big weekend coming up last weekend of the year at Bill Curry Ford? Well, we have lots of things. Actually, there's a, there's a couple of great points that I want to point out. As we know, we just had an election recently, and there was a 1.5% sales tax increase in Hillsborough County, which goes into effect. I thought you were going to say Gerald McCoy was not voted captain, but go, go ahead. It's great. So the 1.5 sales tax basically takes effect January 1st. So right now you have a 1% sales tax in Hillsborough County. So it's basically, I know that when people voted for it, it says one and a half, but it's actually going to be two and a half percent is what you're going to pay for a county tax starting January 1st. So when you say, what do we have going on? We, not only do we have up to $12,000 off uh, a, a lot of our vehicles, including the number one selling vehicle in the world, the F-150, I'm excited to tell you that this is the best time to buy. Not only do you get the tax savings, because you want to buy now, your year, your trade-in also is going to be a year older, January 1. So if you have a 16, you're going to get the value of a 16, you know, which is only two years old. Well, starting January 1st, your car is now going to be three years old. So your value drops. So the best time to buy is right now, right before your trade goes another year old, right now before the tax goes up uh, on January 1st, which is, again, 2.5% for Hillsborough County. And then you're going to get the best deals of the year because we're overstocked with 18s. And I know you hear that. Every customer goes, everyone says they're overstocked. Well, it's by design, right? So you, we, we need to hit these numbers. We, we don't know what our numbers are during the year, but in December, our numbers are very clear. So I know what numbers I have to hit. I have to sell 110 vehicles before Tuesday night at 10 p.m. So if you come in between now and Tuesday at 10 p.m., I promise you, you will not leave here without a car with a lifetime nationwide warranty. Sean, you're transforming now out of your Bill Curry Ford uh, gear. You're taking off your Bill Curry Ford jersey and uh, your full 24-7 Bucks fan self is appearing on the podcast and I think everyone's going to enjoy this because I know your opinions are strong. They're well thought out and they are, I'd hire you in a second if I could afford uh, 20% of what you would command. Anyway, bottom line, where do you stand right now? Here we are. It's just about the end of the year. We're about to change. Uh, something is going to change with the bucks. We all assume it's going to be a new head coach, but the direction of the team, what would you like to see change first to sort of right the ship that has really been sinking? I think first I would like to get someone who knows something about football. You know, that's my thing. You know, it's, I don't want someone who, who, is a, who, who doesn't love football. And I think that when you see all these coaches that we hire, we hire guys. You know, I don't think Lovey Smith loved football. I'm sorry, I just didn't. And I, I don't think Raheem loved football. You know, I think John Gruden loves football, maybe too much. And then when you look at Dirk Cutter, Dirk Cutter, he reminds me of an offensive coordinator. He doesn't remind me of a head coach. Well, I got I to gotta ask you, Sean, that's a strong statement. I've never heard it put that way. To say, I mean, Lovey Smith obviously signed up for the job. Raheem Morris, young guy, his whole life was football. But you don't think they love football? You got to explain what that that really means. The, the extreme to which you, you mean that. I think the fans love football. Right. So I'm a Tampa fan and I, I, I think I've told you this story with my dad. So the only time growing up, just like most Buck fans, the only time I saw my father was on Sunday because he worked a lot. And uh, 1976, he took me to every Bucks game until 1984, until his health deteriorated where he couldn't take me anymore. And I think that I tie Bucks into the best times that I had with my dad. And I think you've heard that probably from a million Buck fans. And I will tell you. Just like I told Lee, I think as fans, we deserve better. And I equate football with Tampa, my home, and with my family. And if you talk to my wife, she will tell you that she doesn't want to be around me on Sundays because she believes, literally believes it changes my mood because I want to win so bad. I have never seen a, a, a team that, that loves mediocrity. Like They're like, you know what? If we could just get back to mediocrity, we'd be great. <laughs> and uh, when I say love football, I want someone – that comes in here, like when, when you watch some of the young coaches in the NFL right now, and I think I, on one of your podcasts you were talking about it, when you're talking about McVay 
you know, th- this guy looks like he loves football. Bill Walsh loved football. Bill Parcells loved football. You know, some of, and, and I just, I want somebody like that. I don't want someone who does it as sure. a job. And when you listen to, when you listen to Cutter at press conferences and you listen to some of these other coaches that I just mentioned, like Lovey Smith, they talk about themselves. They talk about, you know, not, they talk about the football as more like a, well, it's a job, right? So that's what they always start out with. Well, football's a job. When you, even when you're interviewing somebody, it's my job. You know, Dotson just said the other day, I, I got to fight to save my job. You know what I mean? And then they're, you know, I don't care about anything else. Well, as a fan, that's what I feel. I feel when I watch the Bucks right. that they don't care. And if they really did care, then stop losing. You know what I mean? So have some fight in you, for goodness sakes. You know, Dirk Cutter, he just walks around the sideline like, you know what, I'm just going to continue to finish my game, and then I'm going to finish this. I'm going to go in the press conference. I'm going to be stern with the guys. I'm going to say, you know, <laughs> I wish we had met our, we had uh, better players. I wish that our, we made better halftime adjustments. Man, just love football. I just I want that for myself, and I want that for my. Town. I like the perspective because, and it's always great to talk to you about football, whatever it is. But I like the perspective because you don't hear that every day, and you know what? Uh, there's something to that. Sure, these guys, you know, their football is their life, but you, you want that next level extreme that rubs off on the players. Where, well, you know what they may love football, but we want them to love it more than the other team does. And that's what we don't get as fans in Tampa. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to get. When I watch the Cleveland Browns, you know, I I watch their fans, and their fans (laughs) are so loyal. Would you ever thought you would have said that a year ago? No. No, as a matter of fact, the, the Browns are just drafting so well. I mean, I'm just so jealous. I mean, we're sitting here. I'm looking at them. You know, they draft Ward, which is a shutdown corner. They draft Trub, uh, you know, out of Georgia, which everybody who's ever watched football knows was going to be a great running back. They go out and they draft a defensive end every single year. You know what I mean? I think that was Tony Dungy's thing, where Tony Dungy said, try to draft a corner and an end every year, and eventually you're going to hit on enough depth for your team at the key positions. And I just don't feel, and I, you know, it's the same with Jason Light. I don't, I don't feel like they love football. I think they just look at it as a job. And you, 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 we all have jobs as fans, right? We all go to our job. And the, my escape is Sunday. My escape is football. My escape is sitting down there and saying, please represent Tampa like we deserve to be represented. We, we are a laughing stock. And it, it rubs off on me, and it, it drives me nuts. I, at Bill Curry Ford, I strive to be the very best at what I, can, what I do. I tell all the guys that work for me, we have 198 wonderful people here. Wow. I tell them all, please, if nothing else, give me your very best every day, and, and it will reflect positively in the community. I just don't get that from Walk Buck Place. It's accepted. I don't want losing accepted anymore. I agree. And, and there is too much tolerance. It feels like there's no accountability. One thing that always drives me nuts with Dirk Cutter is, does anybody really get benched? Now, I know there have been a couple of guys here and there. Like, they, they benched uh, Vernon Hargraves last year. And it's happened here and there. But nobody gets benched for me. And, and just to speaking as a fan, Donovan Smith, no, he's not the worst left tackle in the league. But... There have been so many instances of him not putting out maximum effort. Do you have evidence that he's not the worst left tackle? Just <laughs> pointing that I, out. I think I do have evidence. Okay. But that doesn't, again, that's, we're talking mediocrity. Here, right. Here I am selling a guy as not the worst. If I have to league. watch him one more time while Jameis is running the ball or why Peyton Barber is running with his, with his garbage, like he's got a lunchbox mentality when he runs the ball. Yep. He's like blue collar, straight up you know, Tampa. He represents what we're all about. He gives everything he has on every play. And then while I'm watching him dance and, and, and some guy's got his jersey, he's pulling him down, Donovan Smith is just slowly jogging next to him. Happened in the last Engage, game again. Engage to a defensive lineman. Try to block downfield. Get behind him. Push him for three yards to the first down. Where is the effort? You had Deshaun Jackson call out uh, his quarterback, his starting quarterback. Calls him out. He basically asks for a trade. And the, and the head coach comes and defends him. Are you kidding? If you don't want to be on this team, guess what? You don't have to be. But that speaks to the further fear of accountability. But what I was saying with uh, Smith and other guys who visibly show lack of effort that even a layman, a a casual fan can see, never any accountability. No, we know we don't get Michael Litke for a series. Who's going to go out there and bust his ass? Uh, we, there's never any accountability with this team. Is Webster um, really? Is you think Webster's really not going to give the effort? Oh, Webster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just think is it so much? I mean, just think about last year. Eli Manning got benched for a game after his after his record streak was going. He got benched for a game because he wasn't playing well. This was a guy that had what I think it was 150 straight starts sure. or, or whatever, and the coach said, "You know what? 
I need better play from my quarterback. I'm going to start, you know, Gino. Now, was that the best decision to start Gino? Probably not. No, but, but I understand. But he was trying to make a point to his team that no one, no one is off limits. We don't just start Donovan Smith because he's made every start since he since his rookie year. I just wouldn't accept mediocrity. You got you got penalties. No one gets put on the sideline for a penalty. Uh, how about this? When you get two penalties in the same drive, you get to sit down. I just start small. Just start small, right? If you, if you hit somebody after the play and it causes it makes us kick a field goal instead of a touchdown, sit him down for a series. How about that? How about some type of accountability? Make me as a fan feel that you care about this as much as I do. Just make me feel like that. Yeah, it's it's an important part for the whole organization. Now, I think that's what you started talking about here when I I cut you off and started playing radio with you here. Yeah, as we do on uh, the podcast. But the point was having guys in place who love football and it's a strong statement. I needed you to clarify, but you're looking for not just a head coach, but a general manager as well, who you believe is going to bring this mentality of, of accountability and loving the game more than more than us fans do, which is really hard to do. And how do you, how do you start doing that? What, what, what do you think the Glazers? Need I think to the do number to do one that? thing you do is you determine like, what's your plan for the team? Not a five-year plan, okay? No more five-year plans. We've heard five-year plans for 15 years. No more five-year plans. Let's have a one-year plan. How about that? Let's start out by saying, are we going to be a running team? Are we going to be a passing team? Are we going to be a blitzing team? Are we going to play soft coverage? Are we going to, are we going to change to a 3-4? I've heard all of this stuff. The, the person at the top has to make a decision. I was telling, talking to you earlier that Jason Light built the team not based on what the coaching staff is trying to accomplish. So there's a disconnect between the coach and the GM, and then I think even the Glaciers, because we sign free agents that don't fit our schemes, and then, and then we don't change our schemes to fit our players. There's just, it's just, we couldn't do this in any other type of business. We couldn't run a car dealership. You can't run uh, any type of business like this. You have to sit down and say, we're going to hire a coach. We're going to draft players that, he, that, that are going to fit a run-first Strong defensive team system. There's just there's no there, there's just no communication between all the different players. You you go out and get Deshaun Jackson for eleven million dollars, and everybody's like, oh, we made this big splash in free agency. Okay, well, how does he fit into our offense? Well, very poorly, right? Did you talk to Dirk Cutter about how he was going to design schemes to to put Deshaun Jackson in? Did he ever watch any Washington Redskins or Philadelphia Eagles tape? This guy is a weapon. I understand that he was frustrated, and I don't agree with what he did, but I understand there's a level of frustration that you get at your job. You know, and it looks sure, like he sure. wants to make the Hall of Fame. I think that people have talked about Deshaun Jackson in the Hall of Fame. You know, and there's numbers there. Like I think he's the greatest yeah, in the modern. To him about yeah, that. sure. Well, I think some of that frustration is because. He has a coaching staff that can't use him properly, right? Now, that comes from the top. We signed a guy with no plan. So if you're asking me what I would do to start this team, I would start from the very top. You hire a team president. doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if I know him, you know him. Hire a team president and sit down and say, okay, Mr. President, how, what kind of team does Tampa have? Let's look at the talent that's already on the roster. Sure. Let's look if we can make some changes in the offensive line to make it more of a run offensive line, right? Let's limit how many passes Winston throws. Because if when he throws 45 passes a game, we lose. When he throws 25 passes a game, we win, right? It's pretty simple math, right? We run for better than four yards a carry, and we slow down the run, and we get our defense into the middle of the pack. And in this division, we could go into the next five years with Drew Brees at the end of his career. Matt Ryan is, is winding down as well. Cam Newton's having all kinds of shoulder problems. We have an opportunity over the next five years to dictate this division and have a clear path to the Super Bowl, and, and at least into the playoffs. Let's just start there. Well, but I agree with you with the one-year plan. With a one-year and, plan. And I think that's really where it has to start because I, I always get into this with other people. You can't even think realistically in the NFL, be honest, even three years because it just changes that quickly from rules to guys getting hurt to changes in your division. And I think you have to just stay so self-focused now because of how the league is changing so quickly. You got to stick with your plan and have somebody to craft it. Are you in the camp of you got to have a team president or are you in the camp of just, just a strong leader, whether that's a GM, whatever you want to call them, uh, somebody leading that charge. I was actually not a fan of the team president until Coughlin. You know, I saw what Coughlin did and the attitude adjustment. I mean, who thought that Jacksonville was ever going to win? I mean, you, it's like they're the same position that we are. It was like, 
He changed the culture just by having yeah. Coughlin there as team president. Coughlin brought in tough football guys. He brought in guys that were that knew football, that knew that offensive and defensive lines rule this game. And, and you know, and he and they've been working on getting a strong running game. Unfortunately, you know, they were saddled with a bad quarterback that was a first round draft right. pick, and their running back has had injury concerns. Other than that, they built a very strong defensive team that's made to run the ball and to limit mistakes by the quarterback. I believe that that's Tampa Bay ball. I think we designed it, you know, and we ran it to under Dungy. We ran it to uh, absolute efficiency where we won 10 games, 11 games. We went to the playoffs. He changed the culture. I love the lunchbox mentality where you just I just want for goodness sakes draft like Snell out of out of Kentucky. Give him the ball behind an offensive line and just let him smash people in the face. I mean, this, I'm just so tired of this finesse game. It drives me insane. Especially when you have a general manager in Jason Light who essentially set out to you know build this uh, beast and nasty offensive line, and we have the opposite. You know, sure it's been better on the defensive line, but it's just not the quote unquote badass football team that Dirk Cutter said that he wanted a sure. couple of I years mean, ago. And that starts at the top. If you look at how those players were drafted, Steve, if you look at the um you Donovan Smith was a guy that was good against the run, who they said was adjust to the pass. You know, uh Dotson's another guy with his size that was a mauler for the run game when he was younger, not now, who was going to struggle in pass protection. You know, Ali Marpet was brought in to, be, to bring toughness to the run game. Jensen was brought in to bring toughness to the run game. And what do we do? We lead the NFL in passing yards, and we're last in, 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 in rushing yards. And Caleb Again, Benin- there's no communication between anybody about anything that's going on. Caleb Benenock was brought in to torture all of us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you know what? In fairness, he's really a tackle. I think we saw no, that last year. he's playing out of position. Yeah. Uh, it, I it, mean, it, again, there's no plan. I know people are passionate about the team president issue. What I'll say is that I think some people think team president, and I I know Lee, a Joe Bucks fan, is not a team president guy, which is fine. And that, you know, there have been plenty of bad examples of team presidents before. And that went down in Tennessee with uh, Mike Munchak, who, a guy who I like as a candidate. I'd still have to hear his plan for head coach, but I like him as a candidate. The team president, I think people focus too much that. The guy has to be here long term. You can hire a team president to set the vision with a plan to be here for two years to hire and groom a general manager and set the vision completely and let him get out. Absolutely. He doesn't have to be here forever. The Glaziers are more concerned. And I don't know them personally. Obviously, I only know what the, what the average fan knows about them. You probably know them much better than I do. You just read the captions on Joe Buck's fan. Yes. And, you know, yeah. I am so interested in the fact are they do they pick a head coach and then pick a GM? Like they did that with Lovey Smith. You hire Lovey Smith, you know, and they say Jason Light's the GM, but Lovey Smith has control. I, I just think the team president changes the hierarchy. It does. And basically the team president goes, he hires the GM. The GM hires the head coach. The head coach hires his assistants. I just think that that's the way it's supposed to go. And I think when the Glaziers get involved, they hire the head coach first and says, okay, Mr. GM, this is who you're going to have to work with. And the GM has one, uh, he wants to run one type of team and the coach wants to run a different type of team. I just think that, uh, again, the, the team president gives us a plan. Just turn it over to the team president and then step back and, and just see if he can hire just football guys. It's very difficult because it feels like Mark Dominic and Jason Light, they've always tr- been trying to find a balance of serving the head coach, which of course you have to do to a point. You got to give the guy the players he needs and is willing to play. No point in giving a coach a guy who he doesn't want to play, but they're always like not on the same page. And then they're, they're on it for a little while, but then they stray and there's no real direction. Unless you're Bruce Allen. And you go back to uh, the hiring of Dominic and Raheem. The Glazers basically said, hey, you two young guys, you're, you're in charge and we're putting you together and figure it out. That, that's not a way to sort of run an organization. Not, you can't run any business that way. But I'll say this, Sean, and this is to me is, is fascinating Bucks history. And I, you know, I have a relationship with Mark Dominic, so I've been able to learn more about this stuff than, than others. But the Bucks did that in 09, and all of a sudden 2010, you could argue how good they were in 2010, but they were a good team on the rise with a lot of young core players and they screwed it up. So it's like you can fix things by sort of going a different route, but you still have to have a direction and you have to sort of have a plan for what happens when you take that next step. And I think Dirk Cutter and Jason, Jason Light didn't have a good plan for, oh, we got to nine and seven and things are going pretty well. We have some steam here. 
they didn't really know what to do next to fit the team. And that's what happened with uh, the Glazers and Raheem and, and Dominic. Yeah, there's, there's definitely so – I want to take you back to Rich McKay, okay? So how much influence do you think that Rich McKay had on him when he was making football decisions? Do you think that he actually picked the head coach? Do you think he actually picked the players? Because I think he did. I think he was very influential in who was our head coach and who was going to be our players. I think that he was in charge. Uh, I don't know if you agree, but – I felt like Rich McKay was just – obviously the NFL felt the same because, you know, he, he does a lot in the NFL circles. But I always thought that he had much more control over this team than Jason Light exhibits. You know, some of our other GMs have exhibited – like Bruce Allen. Like, he, like obviously he was uh, going to do – he was going to facilitate whatever the head coach wanted. Sure. At the, you know, at that time and still does. I thought Rich McKay was, you know, I think that he, he wanted Marvin Lewis. And I think that, you know, that's where the relationship, he pushed hard for the coach that he wanted. And I think that you could see that's when the splinter happened. That's when, you know, they didn't want another defensive, you know, head coach. Uh, and I think that we lost a good one in Rich McKay because I thought he did a, he did an outstanding job of building talent here in a short period of time. If, I mean, I, and that's just based on all of the, the people that we've had to go through to get to this point. Yeah, a lot of factors there and uh, a lot of history. I've heard a lot of things from a lot of different sides on that, different angles. But I think it was clear that there was a vision in place. I thought he had a clear vision of the team and what he wanted. He wanted to run the ball. He wanted a strong defensive team. And he wanted to limit turnovers and he wanted to create turnovers. I thought when you went into a game, you knew what the Bucks were going to do. I mean, you knew what we were good at. You knew that we were going to do it. Well, they were also built for what they wanted Correct. to do. We had the right players. And, and now it feels like a bunch of puzzle pieces yep. that, that don't fit. Yep. And that's why I would argue with anybody, it's probably not a right argument, but it's an interesting argument that Deshaun Jackson was one of the worst signings, period. It he has just, to be. The fit, and especially when you think about the way Dirk Cutter has handled this whole situation with yep. Deshaun Jackson... He was a bad fit for Cutter as the leader of the team, let alone everybody else. He definitely gave Mishon a run for his money. You know, as, as far as uh, his time with the Buccaneers, I, I, I thought Mishon was, was, you know, a lot like that. You know, where he, he wanted his stats first and the team win second. And I, I, he I don't also, though, I hate lay, that. He'd lay it out on the field, though. He put his no, life he on did. the line over the middle and it was a different vibe, I think. Attitude-wise, they're comparable, but you're right. Keyshawn, would, he, he loved the game. I have to say he loved the game. I wanted to talk to you about, I, I watched this special uh, about the best coaching vacancies in the NFL if, you know, these coaches get fired. And I don't know if you saw this, but we were ranked last as far as the, the team openings. And Cincinnati was actually ranked higher than us if it, if it came open. And the reason why Cincinnati was is because they said, well, they have a quarterback in place, they have a running back in place, and they have a, a go-to receiver, and they have some, some defensive stars. And I will tell you the positive thing about our team is even though we have like a, a, um, a serial bowl of players, I mean just all kinds of different serials mixed up, we do have a quarterback regardless of what people think. I don't want to see what happened with Testaverde, what happened with Dilfer, and what happened with Doug Williams. In my lifetime, I've watched three – quarterbacks walk away uh, that we didn't sign to a second contract and give a chance. And I don't we, want we that to happen. We won't count Steve with, with Young, but we won't, go, to, we won't go there tonight. We do have a wide receiver, and I think that Evans is a Hall of Fame wide receiver if he continues down this line where he plays 10, 12 years and puts up these amazing stats. We have a top tight end. I think O.J. Howard's a top tight end. I think we have uh, between Jensen and, and, and Marpet and Winston and O.J., and Mike Evans, and I think we have Godwin, who's, a, who's an up-and-coming guy. I don't know about him yet. I think he might be suited better, uh, not on the outside, actually. Don't know what's going to happen with Humphreys. And then we have some defensive players, some young defensive talent. Uh, we don't know how Quan's going to come back from his injury, but uh, I, I think that we have some talent. I think that and then with our weather and our, and our facilities and our fan base, I think this is a great place, and I don't know how we can be last. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I, so There's me, a nucleus me, here. Meaning I agree There's with still you. a nucleus here. Uh, but coaches, if you stick yourself in the head coach mentality from being around these coaches for covering NFL for years and talking to them at owners' meetings and things, these guys are big on facilities, number one, and the Bucks yes. have excellent facilities. I think we have one of the best. Because that's where the coach is working all the time. And yes. At, uh, support from ownership. Since 2012, there's been a ton of support from ownership between money and facilities and even the Bucks don't hesitate to be on the cutting edge of technology. Uh, even this year where they added uh, some of these robotic cameras for film at, at camp and stuff and faster processing. They're spending the, the money. I mean, they're, they're spending, spending the money. money. Uh, the Bucks have all their draft picks. 
They haven't mortgaged away the future. No. Nope. So there's that. Good cap and situation. And more cap space coming. And many, much more cap yeah. situation coming. Plus, uh, you know, every coach, whether they're BSing or not, they'll talk about, uh, you know, trenches. It all starts in the trenches. Okay, well, the Bucks at least have talent on both sides of the ball in the trenches already in place. On top of having a talented quarterback for at least someone to work with if they want to draft somebody else and, and go from there and go two at a time or draft somebody in a couple of years, I, I don't see it as a bad job. You combine it with Florida and the weather. And, it's just a great place. And as you mentioned earlier, the division, at least a coach is looking ahead, right. a division that's going to I think that's so important. If I changing. was a head coach, I would definitely look in the division. What am I up against? Uh you know, go, moving forward, and and this is the right time to be the Bucks coach. You're going to have your three division rivals, or, or their legacies are are starting to come to an end. We could have a dominance over this division for three or four years in in that period, I mean, maybe even five years, depending on if you know how hard it is to find a, a starting hey, quarterback. You've probably got three Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the division right now. Cam Newton probably gets there based on his. Uh, the numbers on the ground as a dual threat and all that yep. stuff. And he's such a great guy, too, so I'm sure that'll help. <laughs> but bottom line is two of these quarterbacks are probably gone in three years from the Absolutely. Division. So that, that it all starts with the quarterback. Sean, this has been fun. I hope the good folks at Tampa have enjoyed it. I'm going to keep on talking in their ear here. But uh, last call here, what's the last thing we need to know on uh, Bill Curry Ford just north of the stadium on Dale Mabry Highway? I think the last thing that I want to say about, about the store, and, and this family is amazing, Mr. Curry and Jennifer. This, Big Bucks fans. They are huge Buck fans. They have a suite at the, at, at the games. They never miss a game. We have a tailgate party every Sunday. We have our own tailgate truck with the Joe Bucks fan logo on the back. I don't think anybody else has that. Uh, I did that you know, for you because I, was, you know, I love your, your site so much, and I listen to all of your, your vehicles on your site. I, lo- I love it. I think the best thing that I can say is I've been in the car business my whole life, and, I, and I've, I've worked for uh, two families uh, in the car business, two great families in the car business. And, and I, I will tell you that the Currys deserve the business. Jennifer has a saying that she says that she is driven to serve. I think it's a very appropriate that she does so much charity work in this town. And when I was first hired, one of the things that struck me was when I sat down with her and I was doing the interview, she said, Sean... I need the business to be more successful so that I can give more money back to the community. Nice. When somebody says that to you, and she's going to hate me for, for saying this in, 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 on this podcast, because she's a very private person when it comes to her faith, but I will tell you that when you hear that as a general manager, you're like, it just fires you up. Yeah, yeah, It just sure. makes me want to hey, do I'm whatever I can. I don't even, uh... When someone says, I don't need more jets, I don't need boats, I don't need you know, all of these material things, I just want to give back to the Tampa community who's loved my family for 58 years. Right? She's the third generation person to sure. run this store. And I definitely want to make her proud and her family proud, and as well as my own. And, and I, I want the people to know when they come here, they're going to get a great experience. This is a family-owned dealership. We're not corporate-owned. We're not heading towards being corporate-owned. While all these other dealerships, are, you know, you're dealing with companies, you're dealing with a, with a real family here, and, and we're proud of that. Awesome stuff. Bill Curry Ford, uh, we appreciate your support, Sean. Uh, I know you're a big fan, a big fan of us, and it means a lot. And uh, you know what? You, you, you've inspired me to work harder as Joe on Joe Buck's fam. I'm going to go slap Lee around and make sure he's doing what he needs to do. I really hope you enjoyed that. A lot of good takes in there from Sean Sullivan of Bill Curry Ford. Remember, BillCurryFord.com, a mile north of the stadium on the right-hand side. A lot of interesting things to think about in there. I don't agree with 100% of what Sean was saying on, on every level. The chatter about the team president is really a f- fascinating. It, it is what makes it so complicated is that because the Bucks didn't blow out this regime a lot earlier, you know what? There's not a lot of time, not a lot of time to enact all the things they need to do extremely well and with as part of this new vision, unless you've been working on it for a while. And I don't get any sense that the Glazers are ready to hit the ground running here with a team president with a focused vision, you know, I hope I'm wrong. But, you know, look at the way that they've done things before. It just didn't work. I think Lovey Smith came in and they had that established well in advance. They were working with Lovey and it talked to him. He was out of football for that year. And they knew what he wanted to come in and do and they trust trusted his vision. And he came in. They were going to hire Jason Light. 
sync up somebody to match the vision and away they were going to go attached to that of course the vision was not to go two and 14 to completely suck and go six and ten the next year with a terrible defense that got worse after going six and six and not being ready on opening day against the titans so nobody put that in the vision however one of the things i think that from what i understand that most irked lovey is that he believed he was following along a path with the the guys he was working with that was going to be year three where they were going to draft heavy on defense and he never got his year three. And I think that's what sparked Lovey's outrage. He understood the football side of going two and 14 and six and 10, but not the, the, uh, Hey, these guys I'm with, they're not on the, they were lying to me or they weren't on the same page or they weren't communicating with me that, the vision had changed because I thought we were being patient here. So I think that's that's uh, a vision look at, at the history of the Lovey situation, although I'm not making excuses for the guy. Nobody expected him to be horrible. But that vision is important, and I hope Team Glazer's got somebody ready to pull the trigger on, whether it be a new GM or a coach or a, uh, a football uh, overlord, even if it's, if it's for a year to set a new direction. I don't know. I don't know if the Glazers really want Jason Light's direction as it comes to picking a new coach. And if they're the ones going to be hands-on with the coach, then you got a coach coming in. Is he going to like Light? Does he want his own guy? Can they negotiate something? You know, the, the timing of it is, is just messy. It's hard to be clean with this unless you have all your ducks in a row. And there's nothing that leads me to believe that the Glazers have a full-throttle plan to execute something as early as Monday, they may have some backup plans, but is 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 the top plan ready to go? I don't know. It's all secretive. If anybody tells you otherwise, they are not um, not being straight. And that's one thing about all these reports going on around. And that's why it was so predictable when Ian Rappaport was busted for saying on local radio here that he didn't talk to anybody who knew anything directly from the Glazers. It's a mystery. So we can guess. I've had so many rumors come to me. What's going on? Who they're talking to? This, that. Um, you know, Ira Kaufman, our columnist, JoeBucksFan.com, he doesn't really hide that he may. he's probably the only one in the market who's actually in touch with the Glazers. He communicates with them. He's not on the phone every day. We don't have conference calls at Joe Bucks Fan World Headquarters. But, you know, Ira's on the pulse better than uh, and anybody else when it comes to that. And, you know, we don't have any landmark information to give you. And it doesn't mean that it's actually even there. So I don't want to get anybody's hopes up as to what's coming or, or what's not coming. I, I think they'll just look at their options and pull the trigger on whatever they think is the best one at the time. And, you know, that time is, is right here, right now. As far as Sunday, the game... There are a couple things I'd like to see, but I don't think we're going to get to see it. I don't think the, the Bucks are going to do the smart thing and let loose some of these these guys on the bench and guys like Noah Spence and Ronald Jones. You know, Dirk Cutter said two different things uh, on Sirius XM NFL radio last night. He talked about how he can't look players in the face and he can't and not play the best guys and he's got to play to win. And meanwhile, earlier in the day on his radio show, he was talking about that there'll be some rotations in the game on Sunday that will allow some guys more time. But it's not going to be as some sort of any sort of clean, uh, clean exchange. Like he goes to Jason Pierre Paul and says, hey, you know what? We're going to start Spence. We're going to start the young kid and give him his shot. And, you know, you've been banged up and we'll play you a little bit. We'll give you the start and then pull you out. Uh, th- nothing like that should be expected, which is unfortunate. And Cutter, one last way to bag on Cutter, if you will, before he gets out the door. The whole notion that he can't look his players in the face, a team game, and say, hey, look, guys, we're out of it. It's the final game. All these guys, everybody on the 53 has been busting their ass all season long, right beside you, and a lot of these guys haven't gotten a chance to play. The Mike Litkies and whatever. On Sunday, they're going to get their shot, and I want you all to support them. And it's good for the team going forward. But Cutter says he can't look his guys in the face and say that? 
Is it a team or is it not? Is it a unit that works together for each other or is it not? And I understand the egos involved, but it's one game at the end of the season and every player there knows how hard some of these guys have worked since April, many of them, and never really gotten into a, a first string situation or many meaningful snaps or however you want to look at it. So if those guys aren't team players, if Levante David wouldn't understand you know, or pick any player you want, if Gerald McCoy wouldn't understand that the guy they just promoted from the practice squad is going to get some more time on Sunday, you know, then that's on McCoy. And then you've got the wrong guys. So Cutter, nonsense. I wasn't buying it. I understand what you're saying, but you know what? It's not being team first because these guys could use the time and the Bucks could use the loss in this game as it relates to the draft because... You know, we talked about that earlier in the podcast. All right. Thanks so much. Enjoy the weekend. Hope everybody has a wonderful new year. Hopefully we will have a new coach before I talk to you next. Thanks to Bill Curry Ford, Sean Sullivan, general manager there. Thank you to Discount Garage Doors, our great other sponsor, dgdoors.com. And uh, thanks for a great year at joebucksfan.com where it's uh, it's pretty cool how things just keep going and we keep getting more and more support which means more and more hate mail, but it also balances out by the the more traffic and the many nice things that we get. So we appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Go Bucks.